Hey everybody, this is the Apotaka Podcast. As always, Willow's chilling out in BC. How you doing, dude? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing quite all right. Getting close to holidays. Not loving it. Oh, you popped the Invisalign out. Nice. Yeah, I just, yeah. You went, you went discreet, but I caught you. It's honestly more work to talk to. Like it takes effort to <laughs> try and get my like lips over my teeth. <laughs> that sounds hilarious, but that's yeah. why we like it with you with you wearing it. So yeah, good, good, good catch there. Yep, great catch. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's do this, man. Episode twenty-four. You want numbers or stats first? Uh, it doesn't matter. Stats. All right. Numbers, numbers, numbers. You want numbers first? Okay. Is there anybody number twenty-four you think of? I'm honestly not great with like remembering numbers. Neither am I, but there's one that if I say it and I'll get to in a second here, I mean, you'll think you'll know it. All right. Willie Mays wore 24 for 22 years. He's the longest along with Lou Brock, Ricky Henderson. This is 24 is a great number here. Ricky Henderson, Andre Dawson, Frank Thomas. The one that I think of here, Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Barry Bonds wore it when he was with the Pirates. Guy who's on the um, Hall of Fame ballot this year, Manny Ramirez. I mean, this year and for the past however many years. This might be his last year on it. I can't remember. And then your current guys, because you love it. Somebody, a couple of guys who are in the news lately. Cody Bellinger, number 24. Lucas Giolito, another one. Pitcher that I love. Hoping he's back this year. I'm assuming he is. Tristan McKenzie, the mm-hmm. Guardians. Uh, Toronto's favorite, Rugnet Odor. Johan Oviedo, who is down next year with the Pirates with Tommy John, William Contreras, Zach Eflin, and cannot forget somebody who will not be wearing 24 any longer because he's retiring, soon to be Hall of Famer, Miguel Cabrera. Mm -hmm. 24 is the number of quality starts that two pitchers had this year, which led the league, one in each league, American and national. You want to take a stab at them. One you should get. You should get the American one, American League one. 24 quality starts. The American League might have won the Cy might have won the Cy Young Award with the Yankees. Oh, Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole in the National League. Probably won't get it, but if you know this the runner up to the Cy Young Award. Uh National League, who was that? With the Giants. I know we don't. I mean, you might see him more than I do. I don't see him very much. But a guy I like watching, Logan Webb. Webb. They both Really? Wow. I know. Outstanding. 24 quality starts. Impressive. All right. In 1924, here, I love love looking at these. These are hilarious. Dazzy Vance is a pitcher. 28 and 6 with a 2-1-6 ERA. (laughs) Speaking of quality starts and games and all the rest of it. 35 games. 34 starts. 30 complete games. Wow. Insanity. 308 innings pitched with what was a huge number at the time, 262 punch-outs. Just for kind of perspective, Walter Johnson, who the previous year in 1923 founded the 3,000 punch-out club, he had 158 strikeouts in 1924 versus Dazzy Vance's 262, over 100 less than Dazzy Vance. On the hitter side, Rogers Hornsby hit for 24. Babe Ruth hit 46 bombs. And here's a couple. Here, this one's kind of cool. On September 16th, Jim Bottomley records a 12 RBI game against the Dodgers, who kind of made the news this week, which is a, a record that was later tied by hard-hitting Mark Witten in 1993. And in the World Series, the Senators beat the New York Giants four games to three. Game seven was a 12-inning doozy. Jeez. Yeah, not a bad World Series. There you go. Episode number 24, Will. Nice, nice. We got a lot to uh, to go over this week, so we won't go too long But uh, on this part anyway. But we will say we've got a pretty cool interview coming up here with Ryan Leach, Philly's farmhand, a guy you didn't play with. You missed him by, no, I, I guess, missed, a yeah, year, I missed was him by it? a little bit. It was close. Yeah. Year or two. But a uh, guy I coached with Team Canada, just a terrific guy. Um and we talked a lot of, uh, with him about catching and hitting. But like I said, Philly's Philly's prospect, and I'd love to see him work his way through the system. Um, so we have fun. So stay tuned, listen to that. And um, But let's get into it, man. Let's go to our quick hits. There were some things happening this week, Willow. Yeah, we're it's gonna, been a busy, busy week. 
It's been a busy week and it heated up even just today. A couple, a couple good ones right before we, we jumped on here. So we'll get to those, but I'm going to fly through some of them because there is a good one that we are probably going to spend a minute or two talking about. So interject here anytime you want to say anything. And some of these feel like so long ago now, but yeah, yeah. they were all within the past week. So the Diamondbacks signed Eduardo Rodriguez, pitcher from the Tigers uh, last year. Four years, $80 million. I like that signing. Good one here. Craig Kimbrell to the Orioles on a one-year deal. $12 million with a club option for uh, the 25 season at $13 million. Really like that sign. I think last week I said Josh Hader. Like, Hader and then yeah. I was like, nah, it doesn't make sense though. But yeah, this, so. this one on a one-year deal until, uh, until Bautista gets back. Love this this move for the Orioles. The Reds signed Jamer Candelario, three-year, $45 million deal with club option for 2027 at $15 million, so the same AAV. Uh, Evan White, who was acquired by the Braves in the Jared Kelnick deal, gets sent to the Angels for David Fletcher and uh, Max Stassi. And then Stassi later then went to the, went to White, the White Sox. Sox. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the Braves are well, we kind yeah. of said, like, Evan White really doesn't have a spot, spot there because uh, of Matt Olson, And, um, yeah, so interesting. Obviously, the Braves just wanted Kellenic. Marco Gonzalez, starting pitcher. He goes to the Pirates. Tyler O'Neill, Love this one. Tyler O'Neill goes to the Red Sox. Yeah, I do too. Dude, I, this was one beginning of last year. Remember the stuff at the beginning of the year? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think there was a good relationship there with uh, at the end of it for the, for no. an ill in the cards. So I think it's great. I think he's you know it's somewhere where he can succeed. BC boy, want to see him do well. Um, pretty pumped to be able to watch him more again with uh, with Red Sox being in the AL East and me watching so many Jays games. So yeah, yeah it'll be uh, it'll be sweet to see him there. I think really good fit. I'm uh, it was probably one of the best moves I've seen yet. Fit is the right word for Tyler O'Neill. I think that dude is. Maybe jacked, jacked dude in the big leagues. But I mean, if he can stay healthy, I'm excited for this one. I I'd like to see him get back yeah. to his his Gold Glove years where he hit like 30 bombs and all the rest of it. And the, mm-hmm. the, that little short left field with the Green Monster, he's got pretty good opportunity there. So love this one. Uh, Seth Lugo goes to the Royals, three year, 45 million dollar deal. Had a good year with the Padres last year. Um, so not really a firm thrower, but an Outstanding hammer. Good curveball, too. Breaking ball. Mm-hmm. Hello. All right. Uh, Your guy, Rowdy Telez, just signed with the Pirates. One year, $3 million. Yeah. I like that. I, poor Rowdy, <laughs> man. But I don't want, I don't hate that. He didn't have a great year last year. He did. Two years ago, he, he did. young. Exactly. That's why I don't hate this deal for him. It's one year, yeah. $3 million. He's going to make ends meet. And then if he has a good year, now you're trying to re-up with somebody on a on a longer-term deal. Yeah, two years ago, I think he had like 30-something pump, mid-30s, I want to say, somewhere something in there. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, so, and he started really hot. And, and something, too, when he was with the Jays, like just watching, because again, right, you got your hitters that put up stats, but then you got your guys who you just can tell are a pretty good bat. Um, I always thought he was like a quality bat, you know, good at bats, mm-hmm. um, a lot of hard outs, looked like he was kind of on everything. So yeah, uh, pirates. So I don't know, not much to say there, but we'll see. Could, no, could be a breakout guy. Could be a breakout guy. That's, uh, and that's exactly, I think what the pirates are going for. Somebody who's low cost, uh, you know, low risk. Mm-hmm. If he sucks, you've spent $3 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, which is relatively cheap. For big league player these days um but if he does really well there could be a huge upside there so yeah we'll see to be d to be determined um where do we want to go here all right let's do these ones alex verdugo goes to the yankees for a few prospects here um and he's not the only player to go to the yankees juan soto and Trent Grisham overlooked it. And Trent Grisham, 100%. 100%. Now he's not going to be got big time overlooked starting in that outfielder. Trade. Yep. I mean, he hasn't been great offensively, but he's a two-time gold glove winner. Mm-hmm. Right? So you, if you look at that outfield now of Verdugo, Soto, and Judge, mm-hmm. and then you got Grisham there, 
Soto is a below average outfielder. He's a negative defensive war guy. And you've got a gold glove guy off the bench. I mean, that just just late inning replacement, right? Defensive replacement. Mm -hmm. That just makes sense to me. Soto was already hit. He's not coming up for another two, three innings. You're going into the ninth or tenth inning. I bet you Grisham gets quite a bit of time out there. Yep, I would agree. So interesting, though. So And then Soto did just say that he was open to extending a deal. Shocker. I mean, surprise, surprise, right? Yeah, I don't know. The, the one thing I will say on this, and I saw someone break, I actually forget who broke it down the other day. I saw it on Twitter. But um, Soto in his best years, his, his, his highest exit velocity and um, a higher percentage of home runs than when it has been, especially last year after a little bit. I say struggle, still a really good season, but um, was You're right though. A lot of middle of the field and opposite field, um, and I don't know. It was brought up to the point of you know you put a, you put any lefty in Yankee Stadium, what are they going to be thinking? Yeah, right. It's singles know. oppo oppo field. Yeah, that's obviously. exactly what they're not going to be. It's going to be you know <laughs> elevate pull side. That's all it's going to be, and and fair enough. But um it was, it was a valid point and there were some numbers that were you know broken down of him and how his uh you know his best years were when he was you know better throughout all, all parts of the field so it'll be interesting interesting to see how he does here um you know if he can turn around and pull a couple there you know pretty easy to get 40 plus in new york if you're lefty if you ask me not not bad i mean he's going to be surrounded by judge there too right mm-hmm. for on all aspects of the game on field off field how to handle the the crowd and and the city and the publicity and media mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. But then, you know, even navigating just the outfield there. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think that relationships get, I think they're going to thrive, to tell you the truth. But I think he's going to go off. But we will see. Uh, I also I also think I also think the Padres did really well at this trade. So they got uh, Michael King, right? Yep. right. All righties here. Michael King, Drew mm-hmm. Thorpe, who's the 99th Major League prospect. Yeah, he was a guy. He was in the Big West. He uh, okay. He was a Cal Poly guy, and we fit. He was he was really good. He a, had a very very good changeup. Yep. A combio. Very good combio. I love a good changeup. Yeah. Shocker. Johnny Brito, uh, Randy Vasquez, who was the Yankees' 13th prospect, and catcher Kyle Higashioka. Yeah, I think that's good value. I mean, they said that they wanted to decrease their payroll. I think Soto's in line to, oh, what's he making this year? Is it like 23 or something like that? Yeah, around there. Through arbitration. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so they're they're obviously a bit of a salary dump, but um, got some futures back for it. Uh, okay, this one just came up about an hour or so before we jumped on here. Jung-Hoo Lee. Out of the KBO, signs with the Giants. A six-year, $113 million deal. An outfielder, 25 years old. He'll be 25 most of the year next year as well. A five-time Golden Glove, as they call it over there, winner. And has some pretty gaudy offensive numbers. I was looking him up. Maybe not a huge uh power guy. guy. No, but average But doubles, there. average OPS, all really yeah. high. Uh, over his career, a lot more walks than strikeouts. So we'll see if that kind of pans out over here as well, or if it starts to shift because the KBO is not as not the MLB. as respected. Yeah. It's not the MLB, and it's it's seen as kind of a one step down from the Japanese league. So um, see if they can see if he can do that over here. But twenty five years old uh, is nice. He's he's still young, so mm-hmm. I like that one. Interesting. We've been saying they kind of like what the, you know. Everybody's been saying what are the Giants going to do? They got to do something, right? So that was one. Um, Roki Sasaki, another Japanese stud who's not named Yamamoto or Otani. He requested be posted. Now, it is relatively speaking, I guess, agreed upon that. He, the uh, uh, Chibalote Marines will deny that request, but there is speculation as Otani had an escape clause in his contract because there are rules uh, in place for Major League Baseball for these guys. They have to, I want to say they have to have played six professional years. I want to say it's six, might be seven, um, and be at least like 25 years old or something like that to request 
um, their release, so to speak, or to be posted. And he is, he, he hasn't met either of those conditions. So well, he's he 22 has, years old. He's young. He's 22. And Otani yeah. came over 23. So yeah. uh, there are rules against it. But for him to request it, there is speculation that people are saying he might have this escape clause in his contract that, that nobody really, that's not publicized, right? The other thing is that teams have until December 15th, which uh, when we release this, it'll be in two more days. Mm-hmm. So it'll be the Friday coming up and this will be released on Wednesday uh, to 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 post him if they're going to do so. So interesting, but uh, man, that's another 100 mile an hour arm, 22 years old, that major league teams will be drooling over. All right, let's do it. The big one. Everybody everybody wants to talk about it. Christian Bathancourt to the Marlins. I mean, huge, huge. All right, Otani. Some guy named Otani. What a debacle. Yeah, wild couple days, especially for Jays fans. But, uh, yeah, found his, uh, found his spot in L.A., 700 mil for the good old 10 years, but. Following that, some uh, interesting news, and I think that yes. that's really what you know it has to get broken down. Um, I mean, for me, Dodgers was always like that, always the favorite, right? And I think everyone in the back of the head kind of knew it; they didn't want to believe it. Um, but especially you know when happened? there was like these these like rumors that were kind of gaining a little bit more traction about Toronto. Yeah, and there and, was there started to become doubt, and I think the rumors were so overblown because how quiet the you know, this free agency was for him. Um, mm-hmm. I was saying something the other day, like, I don't know if I've ever seen in any sport as quiet of a, you know, and he, and again, he came out and said he didn't want stuff to be public, but any little thing was getting under a microscope. And I think that's why like some stupid, you know, things of tracking planes like that came up, right? Um, Kikuchi's dinner plans. Yeah. Kikuchi's dinner plans, like stuff like that, right? People are, it's just, everything's under a microscope because there wasn't, he was, you know, he was super, super low key about it, and and he was the one to break it on his Instagram first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't think, and and no one was really surprised, right? Um, no, disappointed out out here, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure, disappointed. I think the big surprise came from the the breakdown of the salary. Yes. Mm-hmm. Six hundred and eighty million dollars of the seven hundred million is deferred until after the contract ends. Mm-hmm. And I was actually listening to quite a bit of this stuff today on uh, the MLB network. Um, and it was really interesting. And it starts to kind of make sense. And and while people were really angry before about the deferred salary and 700 million, that's insane. That's like twice as much as the next highest one ever, blah, blah, blah. It's not really. Mm-hmm. So I don't, did you listen to all this? Did you? No, well, I, 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 today at work, I, I knew we were going to be talking about it, so I, I, I digged into it. I'll tell you what, it's not easy trying to understand some stuff. Hundred percent agreed. Around this, you know, the, the, salary, the financials and it everything, is, oh, and the, yeah. the rules and everything. Yeah, it was, you know, it's my, it's my break at lunch. And I'm trying to kind of relax my brain a little bit, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot to handle, but definitely interesting. Um, interesting too that Shohei was the one to come out. I. I I like that. You know, I hated it at the start and I thought about it a little more, but a guy who wants to win. Um, again, like he's he's making so much in brand endorsements money. and 50 million a year. That's yeah, what I heard. Like he, he's fine either way, right? So I see it. I think this is going to be change, change the game big time though. I think this will be the first of many contracts to, to not directly follow it, but I think it opens the door to people understanding that um, – it can, it, you know, especially in baseball, right? Um, contracts can be, can be unique, right? And then use them to, to get different things. So I think, I think it's going to be a big, big uh, turning point for, for baseball. Now to go over some of the details a little bit, 700 million for 10 years, obviously 70 million a year. However, the way it's deferred only forty six million only. It's only, only only yeah. Only forty six million dollars a year goes against the competitive balance tax for the Dodgers each year. Yeah, on the payroll. On the payroll. So really, if you look at it the other way, that it's four hundred and sixty million dollars 
uh, over 10 years, $46 million per year for Otani. That doesn't seem quite as bad. No, no. So the, so this is this is why those numbers exist from my understanding. So I was, like I said, I was listening to a lot of it today and actually Steve Phillips on the MLB network did a really good job. You know, like you said, it's really hard to understand. So even when he's clear, you're still trying to keep up with it. But he was GM with the Mets when they did the Bobby Bonilla deal. Oh, was he? So he was the guy. So he knows all these things. So it was really interesting to hear his perspective. So because in the, in the, um, the, what's it called? The player's agreement. Thank you. In the player's agreement, you can't just say $46 million now is the same as $46 million in 10 years. There has to be some interest in there and it has to be a reasonable amount. So $46 million now is let's call it equal to $70 million in 10 years. That's why that number is there. So yes, they will be paying $70 million per year or 68, you know, because he's getting $2 million a year salary. That's why that number exists though. So, but $70 million in today's money is not the same as $70 million in tomorrow's money or in 10 years money. It's not, it's not as valuable, right? Because mm-hmm. of inflation and all the rest of it. So it's not actually a real $700 million today or $70 million today. It's $46 million today. And then they have to add in that inflation in 10 years when he's actually going to get paid. So I don't know if that actually makes sense. It's That's kind of my best understanding of it. The other side of it is it makes sense for Otani with taxes that if he moves out of California in 10 years, there's tax relief there. So now he's not getting taxed on that $70 million or whatever it is, you know, based on games played in state and out of state and all the rest of it. He won't be responsible for those taxes because he's not actually earning that money while he's in California. So if he goes back to Japan or whatever, he gets tax relief and then whatever tax breakdowns happen over there is different. But that's going to save him a ton of money as well. So there's a couple different sides to it, which are really, really interesting. And once I start hearing those, then it kind of started making sense. You know, the other thing that I heard again right before that uh, we got on here is that the Giants, do you hear this? The Giants matched the offer. They basically said that we'll give you whatever the Dodgers are giving you. And the so Jays were, again, the I only Jays, saw the headline. The Jays were on par too, I heard. And the Jays, I heard, were in the ballpark, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. So is that $700 million? Is that forty-six or $460 million up front? Or whatever, you know, I don't know what that means, but sounds like, yeah, they were in the ballpark too. And I'm wondering if now that the Giants have said that they they would match if the Jays come out and kind of say what they offered as well. So that's that was the first thing that I thought about. It's like, well, cat's already out of the bag. Why not just say and confirm? And then, you know, if you if you tell Toronto or Canada's, I guess, fan base, yeah, we offered the same thing. We offered $700 million. We offered the exact same contract. Then you can't get any kickback from fans saying, well, why didn't you just go a little bit more? Why didn't you go a little bit more? Because then obviously – he just wanted to go to the Dodgers. Yeah. It was just that was just where his heart was, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Really, incredibly interesting stuff. And a guy who may—I hope he pitches again. But there's—he's had two Tommy Johns now. Yeah, I don't scary. Know. But I think he will. He's a species, at least in some sense. Like I, I, I don't, I don't mind moving that guy to the bullpen. Closer. That would be sick. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you. Anybody like that would be great anywhere out of the in the uh on the pitching staff, but to, yeah, yeah, inning inning count goes down. I mean, again, we want adequate warm up. We want to be make sure we're not injuring this dude, but still. I think there's yeah. a lot of options or at least just having it but I don't think he's coming back to full-time starter like he had he his role was with the Angels and again like they would give him days here and there, but I don't think it'll be in that same ballpark. One because value wise right yeah um you hate to bring him back and then him blow out exactly right you don't want to do that it's uh you're paying a, a pretty penny on the guy already so yeah it'll be interesting to see what uh what that is but i think his his battle always be there um and and i don't know like it might be interesting to see like you know this next season he's not going to be putting any time towards thinking about pitching right or mm-hmm. developing like 
Does yeah. he get even better with the bat? Right. I don't see him getting worse. No. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that, how that plays out. If, uh, if him just being a hitter, maybe, uh, you know, might elevate his, his hitting even more. How about this? I was thinking about the three headed monster that is there meaning so or not Soto, sorry, Mookie, Freddie Freeman, and Otani. But then I, in the back of my head, it's like, now the Dodgers are think or have said that they're still in the hunt and are interested anyway in Yamamoto and Imanaga. So you could have the three-headed monster of Otani, Imanaga, and Yamamoto. Like, that w- yeah, that would be wild. Is this a joke? Like, well, they the need Dodgers to go for starting. Just, they're not yeah. playing for real anymore. They need starting pitching, so that'll for sure. I, I got. And you you text me right away too, like after that Shohei breakdown yeah. came out and stuff. Like I got Yamamoto going to the Dodgers. Yeah, well. it's like you I want to bet that he's going there for sure. He is. Like yeah. this is my guess. I mean, as the odds have to be there that mm-hmm. he's going to Dodgers. You don't think Otani's give him a, give him a call and said, "Hey, let's do this." Yeah, that's my bet. That's what I got going there. You got any other hits, man? Or are no, we good? We, you head out of the park, man. 40 bombs like Otani. Let's throw it to the interview, man. Um, Ryan Leach, we had a great time talking with him. So hope you all enjoy it and we will see you next week. As mentioned, joining us today on the podcast, we've got Ryan Leach, the Philadelphia Phillies catcher, prospect, Canadian, and all-around fantastic guy. Leachy, man, how you doing? Well, you know, can't complain. Pro ball is what it, everybody talks about. So, <laughs> being in school right now. Yeah, that was a that was a thing. It was like you know, school's great except the school gets in the way, and I just wish I could play baseball. Then you sign a contract and you get to go play baseball, and it's like fantastic, right? Yeah, and and, and nobody really talks about this, but like in college, there's no such thing as an off season. It's like the season ends, and then. You go home for like maybe two weeks and then you play summer ball and then you go home for maybe and then you're back at school before you know it. So you're you're actually enjoying an off season now? Yeah. So where are you right now? I'm in Pittsburgh. My uh, my girlfriend goes to Pitt, so we have an apartment down here and I'm found a place, a uh, nice facility that I'm working out at right now. And I'm grateful enough that one of my um, one of my college teammates He's also living with his girlfriend in, down here in Pittsburgh, so I have somebody that I can catch bullpens for and, you know, go in there every day and work out. So it's awesome. So what's the balance right now between kind of baseball activity and just kind of hitting the gym? Uh, right now, baseball activities uh, around like three times a week. I'm, I'm slowly ramping it up. I don't want to kind of go too hard too early and then end up, you know, not necessarily get hurt, but tire myself out before I even get to spring training. So, um, working out is probably like five, six times a week. And then, uh, baseball's three times. And then I'll do that for a couple more weeks. And then I'll start ramping up to four days, five days, six days. And then hopefully I'll be, uh, there for spring training. What about after body season? Oh, oh, bigger. Come on, man. Jumped in. No, no. no. But, uh, after season, did you take, did you just like take a couple weeks off? I know it's kind of something popular within a lot of pro ball guys is just give it a, a week or two of kind of nothing, right. To lay back. Did you, uh, did you partake in that? Yeah, I, I took a couple weeks off, you know, being a catcher, your body takes a huge beating through the year. So, uh, talking to people that played pro ball and, and coaches and whatnot, they, they almost insisted on me taking a few week break just to get my body right. And then, you know, like it's my body felt great after that. I've always said it's the the most difficult position on the field. I got a ton of respect for catchers, especially as a pitcher. Right, I got I have to have a ton of respect for my catchers, but it's a it's a daunting position. How did you get into catching as a as a kid? Uh, there's a couple reasons. One, I was pretty out of shape as a child, so <laughs> it was kind of limited to that or first base and. My uh, my grandfather used to say the quickest way to the big leagues is up the middle. So catching, pitching, and like center field, pretty much. And as you as you've seen me run, I'm probably not the best option for center field. So I, catching was probably the only option, and I guess it worked out for me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I remember watching you in um, I guess it was 2019 
with the junior team and, and you were one of our guys behind the plate and you kind of worked your way, I don't want to say worked your way into the lineup because you could always swing it, but uh, we had kind of yourself as what I'd say a hit first guy. And then we had another catcher, Raphael Peltier, and he was a catch first guy. And in my mind and in the coaches' minds too, you kind of worked your way into the defensive aspect of the game where we weren't losing, you know, a whole lot, if anything, with you behind the plate. So, I mean, kudos to you for, for sticking with it and working really hard behind the, behind the dish. Yeah, being, being behind, not necessarily being behind Raph, but watching him catch, you know, like he was, he was probably one of the most gifted high school catchers I'd seen at that time. And um, I didn't really understand it at first. But it, it like came to me that the catching position, and this is pretty relevant in, in pro ball too, is the catching position is not necessarily about the hitting all the time. It's it's guys that can play the defensive side of the ball and not even necessarily be the best defensive guys, but being guys that pitchers want to throw to. Because I know like Beggar, you were a pitcher. Like if you had a guy that you didn't want to throw to, like it's it's tough for you to try to execute pitches if you if you're not fully confident in a, in a catcher. Well, I was, I was going to save this question for later in the interview, but it, it works out now. And I use you as a, a great example um, when I talk to pitchers and catchers. Because you asked me one time, and I think we were probably in Florida, and we were walking in from a bullpen, whether, you know, pre, uh, pre-game or if it was during a workout. I can't remember exactly that detail. But you asked me the best question I'd ever been asked before in my life. And you asked me, what do I like in a catcher? Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, I, I you caught me off guard because it's like, you know, we all like, well, I want a guy who can, you know, catch and throw and make me look at this and that. But it's like, no, what do I really like in a Like, what, what catchers did I have in the past that kind of really stuck out to me? And why did they stick out to me? It's like, you got me, man, because I didn't think there was a brain in that head. I'm not going to lie. And then you come up with that question. And I was like, man, this guy's smart. So I wanted to ask you that question now after you've got, you know, a year and a half or so in pro ball. Is there anything that you think that you've kind of learned as you've gone along that guys really like about you behind the plate? Something that maybe you've kind of improved on or just kind of, like you said, like being a catch first guy. But is there something that you find is really sticking out that makes you a good catcher for your pitchers? Uh, yeah, I, I could say like my blocking or my saving because that those are two things that um, have come a long way for me. Like when I was younger, um, people used to say like they didn't know if I was going to stick behind the plate because like you said, like I kind of worked my way into the defensive part of the lineup. Mm-hmm. And um, those are two things that I really worked on. And then my catch and throw kind of got a little bit better. But I, I would say my best ability is probably uh, trying to learn the pitching staff. So mm-hmm. there's like there's different kinds of players that, you know, like if a guy's struggling, you got to get out there and kind of like calm him down a little bit. Or if he's, if he's kind of going through it, you got to be like, Hey man, like this is what I need from you. You need to do this, this, and this, and then like, I'll get your back or whatnot. So I feel like, especially for young, young players, like if they're trying to get into the lineup or they're trying to become a better defensive catcher, it's not always about receiving, blocking, throwing. It's, it's, it's the quarterback of the defense. They have to, they have to understand their pitching staff because if a pitcher wants to throw to you, you're going to get a lot of opportunities. Do you, do you remember my answer to you? I was going to say, what was your answer? Well, I wanted to see what, if, if what Leachy's answer was. And then, you know, I don't know if you remember that conversation or even asking me, because I don't think it was really something that you thought a ton about. It's just a question that came to your head. Yeah. I, I like, now that you bring it up, I definitely remember, I'm pretty sure it was in the backfields on the, um, on the nationals and Astros like spring training mm-hmm. site, but I don't remember your answer it was probably like somebody who just caught the ball or something like, no, you know, it's, so my answer is always, and, and this is what I say, because I remember that question. And so I use it as an example a lot. My answer is I like a catcher who absolutely ran my shit, mm-hmm. which means I want somebody back there who's kind of more confident in me than maybe I was even in myself. So then I had the confidence to kind of go with their game call and their game plan, right? So if they were really confident in me throwing something or even me bouncing a ball or something like that, it's like, all right, let's do it. Let's go, right? And I kind of, it kind of helped me just go through game. And it also kind of takes the thinking out of it for me. And I always say, like, I want my catcher to be the smartest guy on the field 
because I want him to think of it. I don't want to think about anything. I just want to throw, I just want to execute, right? So somebody who, like I said, somebody who can run my shit and run the show back there, that's to, that was always to me the, the type of catcher who I really had a good relationship with. So when you're saying like there about like having, you know, going out with your, your pitchers and knowing your pitchers and giving them confidence to throw things, that's kind of what that is, right? So it was just something I, I that stuck with me, man. That one stuck with me, that question. How's yeah, your, it, I'll go for it, go for it. No, I'm, I was going to say like, if you talk to anybody in the Phillies organization or even at Marshall when I was at school, like something I do is I ask, a lot of questions just so i like i feel like learning from people that have been at the highest level or coached at the highest level like it's the best way to learn from guys like we have a we have a catching guy his name's jr murphy he was uh he was in the big leagues for a little bit he caught mariano rivera's last last outing Mm, and like he he's new with the phillies and i i used to pick his brain pretty much all season so that's that's for me the best way to learn from guys I'm assuming you're calling your own games right now with the Phillies, or has... yeah. So I call the games, but like I said, like uh, our pitching coach for the year that I had in Low A, um, pretty much before every game we would go over, like, okay, this guy, this guy, I think their threats. You know, we got to stay soft away with him. Like this, is, this is his weakness, or we can we can attack this guy. Just don't go up and in, like whatever. So we, I call the pitches and. That's another thing for catchers is you got to understand how to call the game at the end of the day. Just it's not necessarily about being smart and, and um, scouting reports. It's it's quite simple once you like read swings. If, if a guy looks terrible on a slider, like chances are he's not going to hit it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like young, young, guys, um, young guys can learn from just watching people hit. What about college did you call it or was it because i know college like coaches love to call games at college i only ended up calling probably about a handful of games my last year at college the rest we my first year we used a uh, game, like a play card i had it on my wrist it, it took so long <laughs> we had uh like you know you know some pitchers man like, yeah hamsters turning but not at full speed sometimes and they're reading cards and it's tough to get the right pitch and then I'm, I'm reading card and it says pick off and i'm like all right and i'm i'm looking in and then guy throws curveball and i'm like oh my god like what am i supposed to do here and it's just it was it was i don't know i hated those play cards and then we we ended up going to the earpiece which was a lot better for pace of play but i i like to call the games i like to be the guy that like that's why i like catching is i'm in the action at all times. So I like to, I like to be in control of defense. In, uh, in pro ball here, do you guys go over, um, uh, the hitters before a series at all? Or, or is that kind of something you just do on your own? I, well, the guy just said it before the games beggar, but I didn't know if they'd come like sit down as a staff. I don't know if things have changed since, uh, since I played, you know, cause the, the, the stats and the analytics are a lot more prevalent now. So if that's something that you guys go over as a team, or if that's just a solo mission. Yeah, we had a couple meetings like at the beginning of the year, uh, going over hitters for each team. But playing in the Florida State League, you play the same, you play the same like six teams over and over and over again. So like once you once you see them the first couple times, you know, like it's like all right, this guy's up again. Like you look up the scoreboard, you're like oh he's hitting he's hitting three thirty with fourteen. It's like maybe <laughs> try to stay away from this guy. Like, <laughs> And then obviously in, in the minors, like the, the lineups are changing pretty much daily. Like guys are going up, down. It mm-hmm. It's happening every day. So you, know, you can't, I feel like you can't, um, you can't overanalyze, but you also don't want to go in underprepared. Now we talked a lot about uh, catching so far, but I mean, how's the, how's the swing? How's that feeling this year? The swing felt good. I, uh, I did struggle the first couple weeks i was in low a i just i think uh i just wasn't confident in myself which is um which is a big thing in baseball is if you're not confident in yourself it's tough for other people to be confident Mm -hmm. in you so i was i was struggling bad and then so i i got with one of our hitting coaches and i started working on a routine and then started hitting a little bit i started hitting balls hard but still getting out and then 
ball started to fall and then I, I pretty much turned my season around and I'm, I'm happy where it ended. I, I know there's more in the tank, so I'm, I'm excited for next year. What are some uh, big focuses for offseason, at least swing-wise? Anything uh, you're trying to implement or, or work on? Yeah, I'm, um, one thing right now, I'm, just, I'm trying to find a good timing mechanism for me that will allow me uh, more room for error. Uh, I used to have a huge leg kick, and it it produced a lot of power for me, and and um, it helped a lot in high school. I mean, Canadian high school baseball, you're facing guys from seventy two, so it's not. It's, I'm not getting blown up, but you know, I remember. I actually remember this pretty pretty vividly. It was my uh, it was my first time facing like anything over ninety. It was it was like a a camp that the Blue Jays were throwing at the Rogers Center, or I guess. Yeah, the Rogers Center still is Rogers Center. Um, and this guy was from like 90, and I struck out. Next guy was from like 90, struck out. Next guy was from like 92, struck out. I struck out like five times, and I was like, oh, I don't, maybe, maybe I got to change something here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So I, I, I didn't end up changing anything there. I got to college, and uh, I tried like a two-strike approach swing, and it, it, I struck out more somehow. So then I stuck with the leg kick, and I got the pro ball, and – the last off season, I was I was hitting with uh, Liam Hicks, and as you probably know, he was he had a pretty good year. Decent year. fall league too. Yeah, not not bad. So, I was hitting with him, and and he was he was hitting with a toe tap, and I'm like, how do you like the toe tap? He's like, man, it it's it's the best swing change I've made. Like, it, I feel so good with it. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a try. And then I toe tap the whole year, and right now I'm still toe tapping, but I'm trying to get a little bit more uh consistent with it i feel like i i rush a little bit too much so i'm trying to slow it down a little bit and then uh i'm just trying to get on playing i i didn't strike out um as much but i struck out a decent amount so i'm just trying to get on playing allow myself to make more contact and hopefully get on base more maybe not singles because if i'm on first base <laughs> it's gonna home but maybe maybe more doubles and Home runs will follow. Well, how, how's the power looking? I mean, I looked at your numbers and looks like some power is still there. I think you had seven home runs this past year and about 100, was 150 at-bats or so? Yeah, around there. And uh, so, I mean, that averaged out to, you know, looking somewhere around five, or sorry, uh, 25 or so over a course of 500 at-bats. So I think the power still there. And that is, I mean, as we've kind of mentioned, as a hit first guy from what I know you as, that I mean, you hit some moon shots. You were fun to watch it when you got a hold of one, which you kind of did regularly in BP. Put on a pretty good show in BP. So that that uh, that ability is still there. Yeah, I. Uh, you know me, I love I love to put on a show in BP. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's tough to di- uh, differentiate BP and training. You know, mm-hmm. like for me, I used to only train the same way I hit BP on the field uh, pretty much trying to hit like I'm trying to impress people and it's just me and my dad in the cage <laughs> so I uh I'm starting to implement that as well this year where you know I'm just trying to stay low low line drives in the cage because I know with my natural swing path if I'm thinking low line drive it's going to end up being a, a gap or, or a home run so just got to trust the process I was looking nice. up that your numbers I think it was your sophomore year, and you had like ten pumps or something, but you only had like one double, and it just like stood out to me. I was like, "That's a weird number, man." That was interesting for me because I've always been doubles home runs guy. Like I, I didn't hit many singles growing up because that's what my dad used to preach to me. It's like, "Hey, man, you didn't you didn't get the good genetics. You're <laughs> you're not fast. You're not, you're not getting on first, stealing second, scoring on a. You got to be on second base." so somebody else can get you in so that's just that's how my training was growing up and i don't know what i don't know what happened that year i just i either struck out or a home run and then <laughs> i turned it around the next year because i think i had like 17 doubles yeah. or something pretty it's a pretty big jump to go from one to 17 i mean the, the surrounding numbers weren't bad like i mean it wasn't terrible but it was just a weird like you know double digit home runs in college baseball but only one double it was uh the, the funny thing about that year too is it was the year after COVID shut down everything, and uh, we were playing Mercer, and I hit three home runs in in four games pretty much, and I was feeling really good. And then 
one of my roommates tested positive for COVID. So I had to quarantine for 10, for 10 days. And on the 10th day, I got tested again. And then I tested positive. So I had to te- or quarantine for 10 more days. It was just, it was bad. Yeah. It seems to be, seems to be when you're, you're hot, you, you get humbled real quick. That's brutal. What was it about Marshall that took you there? Because, you know, 2019, you get drafted by the Reds in the 30th round, and you opt to go to Marshall. What drew, what drew you to that school? Uh, well, for me, it was um, – I had a couple options. I had I had Ohio State, but it was like a preferred walk-on, and I would have been paying $60,000 to walk on there. That So dad said no to that guy. Okay. Yeah, so my dad. Like maybe maybe we look at other options. Now. <laughs> maybe look in JUCO. I know Jefferson College was was a JUCO that uh, I liked. Just they liked me, and and I had a couple of buddies that were there already, so I knew like I would I would fit it right in. Um, I went on a visit to Southern Illinois, who at the time wasn't very good, and then the next year they they completely turned it around, and they were they were almost top twenty five. I'm pretty Salukis, sure. Like, yeah. Next, yeah. And then, um, obviously Marshall, I, uh, I went, I actually committed, but before I went on a visit, um, you know, I just had, I had a couple good coach or a couple good talks with the coach and, uh, they were planning on building that new field. Obviously COVID kind of stumped the process of it. So they're just now getting to the end of the field and it looks awesome. I kind of wish I was there for it, but, um, yeah, I mean, Marshall being born in West Virginia, it's kind of, kind of had a spot. Um, hit close to home a little bit. So my mom was pretty happy when I was going back to West Virginia. And then three years later, you end up not getting drafted as a junior, I guess, but you sign as a free agent, which is a little bit of an unorthodox way of getting into pro ball, especially as a junior. Now, senior is a little bit different as I did. I signed as a free agent as well. But as a junior, you sign as a free agent. What was that whole process like to get you out of your senior year? Um, well, it's it's just different nowadays. Like I remember, I remember getting drafted out of high school in like the thirtieth round, and you know, like obviously it's cool or whatnot. But thirtieth round out of high school, it's going to take a lot for for me to sign out of there. So, um, signing as a free agent, it wasn't necessarily a hard decision for me just because like I said, like things have changed now. So with, with the free agent maximums that they're allowed to give the guys, like it's pretty much the same thing as getting drafted in the 21st round or not. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, to me going back to college, um, there's a lot of risk with that. Like what happens if I don't have another successful year or if I get hurt or whatnot, like I don't like to think negatively, but you know, like when, when it's a, big decision like that you kind of have to throw everything at yourself mm-hmm. and um i know i had a long long talk with uh my parents and obviously my college coach wanted me to come back but at the end of the day like pro ball is my dream i wasn't i wasn't i wasn't at school to get any a degree well, i was trying to get a degree like obviously i got cut off short but you know it wasn't like mechanical engineering i was there for sports management i know <laughs> so i got a Pro Bowl has always been a dream of mine, and so I get the opportunity, and I figured I'd take it. What were you? What was your major, Bagger? Uh, I did business. I was business. a marketing marketing guy. It was kind of one of those things. It was like I was going to school too, yeah, not not for classes necessarily. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do, so I just, was just a, took figured, whatever, figured huh? business would get me. He used in lots of different avenues, so that's yeah. what I went with. Yeah, majored in ba- majored in baseball, minored in whatever the hell. You there did, you go. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough to be a good student, so oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Business management, it's the they're the same thing. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're involved in sport too, you can always do things outside of it, right? You know, like an agent or something like that, or, and so that always be pretty cool. Yeah, I've always I've always thought like even if I don't didn't play pro ball, like I'm probably gonna end up doing something inside of baseball. Like I could see myself coaching with my dad probably. When baseball is all said and done. Well, I was going to say, you know, we've we've talked about your dad, mentioned him a few times. He clearly has uh, a huge influence on you, whether that's positive or negative. I think is yet to be seen. But uh, he is he is he still coach, or is he able to just be dad now? 
Uh, he can be dad now. I, I think. I think once I hit my my grade twelve here, I think he kind of knew like I was I was getting a little too big for him, and I, was, I think he was kind of getting scared that I could take him in the fight. So I don't think he was as hard as me or as hard on me this last year. But um, still in college, I mean, when I was struggling in college, I used to call him all the time because he he knew my swing better than I knew it, honestly, mm-hmm. and. I, all it took was I'd send him one video and he'd be like, dude, what what, what are you doing with your hands? I was like, I don't know. What am I doing with my hands? <laughs> and he's like, well, like you got to do this. And I'm like, okay. And then I would do it. And then I would have like the best round of BP I'd have all year. And I was like, oh, okay. There you go. So he, well, I- he's still he's still a huge part of my my baseball career. And I account a lot of that to him. I, I know I joked about the genetics. I was fighting really hard against that. But he... He's a good coach, so it kind of it kind of balances it out. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I think I heard a story. I think it was when you were in college still, where you were going through one of those uh, those tough times, and he drove down there and took some BP with you through BP, and I think he ended up hitting like two bombs the next game, or you know, a bomb in the next two games, or something like that. And next thing you know, he's throwing BP to the whole team, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it was funny. There was so there's a couple stories like that. My 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 first year. Right before COVID shut down everything, I was struggling. Um, one of my best friends, Jordan Phillips, uh, he was struggling a little bit. And we had another kid named Sam, Lim- Sam Linscott. He was another outfielder. We were all struggling. We were all hitting in the, in our indoor facility one day. And uh, my dad, I called my dad. I FaceTimed him and I was like, dude, like, just look at my swing. Like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And he told me and I, I fixed some. And then <laughs> Jordan Phillips was like, Hey, can your dad like look at me? <laughs> I was like, sure. and I like my video, and he's like, yeah, he's just like he's like, like hinging too far this way or whatnot, and he's like, dude, thanks, and he took around, he's like, dude, that feels really good, and then Lynn Scott was like, can can he look at my swing? And I was, and I was like, yeah, and then I took a video of his, and he was like, yeah, he's just doing this, whatnot, and then we had we had a doubleheader the next day. Um, Lynn Scott hit two triples. He had like two doubles. And then Phillips hit a home run and a double, and then I had a home run, and I'm pretty sure I had a double as well. So I, <laughs> I think he knows what he's talking. So about. So now he's on the payroll for Marshall. I was gonna what? say, yeah, get get him on the staff, man. He should. So it, about two hours ago, I fired him a message. I said, "Hey, Willow and I are gonna have your idiot son on for an interview." He goes, "He goes, <laughs> Jesus, what was second prize?" I said, "Him." <laughs> well. That- Funny that you talked about that uh, that question that I asked you in Florida when you said like you didn't think anything was going on. That's probably just because you knew my dad at the time. You're probably just making the correlation. And this is this is yeah, There's no way he's he's thinking about anything right now. That's hilarious. But I mean, uh, you know, obviously we're joking. Your dad's an awesome guy. He's hilarious, and uh, you know, a lot of people love him, and he, he knows his ball. So you you were, you were lucky to have him as a as a coach and his dad and everything like that. I know he's supportive of you, and he's always talking about you. And, uh, he likes to rip on you on social media a little bit, but that's kind of, it's all part of it. It's fun. I can't do it. It's all good. And he likes to say that he's got a better mustache than you, which now yours is gone. So you're going to have to work on that again. But when I had it curled, I don't know. I was giving him a run for his money. <laughs> now we kind of talked briefly about the junior national team you played there. Do you have any, um, memories from that? Like that kind of stick out in your mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, going to South Korea was awesome. I mean, it's a pretty big change going from Canada to South Korea. Like, obviously, everything's different. And I really enjoyed my time there. And I was happy enough that all those guys on that team, like I'm I was friends with, and I still talk to some of them to this day. And junior national team, I I told this to a lot of guys, it's, it's the best opportunity for a Canadian baseball player to just not only baseball wise to just outsource the guys from different provinces and see what they're doing and make lifelong connections. Cause I know, um, at Marshall, Peter Hutzel was from Alberta. He was on the junior national team and I, that's something we had in common. And then we became friends from there. It kills yeah. me, man. Thunder Bay, like what a brutal place to like, you know, I'm here in Korea and people talk about this stuff. It's like, yeah, we went to Thunder Bay, man. Like, yeah, Thunder was- Bay. It, it, you know, it's different. I was lucky. I was actually both of those with each of you guys. 
And it was different, yeah. you know, Thunder Bay is kind of cool. And you take it for what it is. You don't get the, you know, see I mean, the sights or anything, but you're on home soil, right? That's, so you, that was the, the only good, good point of it for sure. But I mean, I would have taken probably anywhere other in the world. Korea was pretty, pretty cool. One of my favorite parts is when we got stuck there for an extra day or two because of Typhoon and, and we didn't, we couldn't come home. We couldn't yeah. catch our flights because there was a Typhoon out there. I was pumped. Everybody, you know, a lot of people, you know, after a couple of weeks or whatever it is, you get kind of ready to, to wrap it up you're done playing you're ready to come on i was like this is awesome let's just hang out here i love it it's beautiful yeah but korea was pretty sweet all my flights for for junior national team were were pretty interesting i remember my first flight um i think we we're going to florida my first original flight got canceled so then they uh I, I was like a late edition or something i don't really remember so i was on a different flight than everybody and then that one got canceled so then they put me on the flight that everybody else was on so I show up and I'm like introducing myself to everybody. And then that flight gets canceled. <laughs> I was supposed to leave at like 2 p.m. We ended up leaving at like 10 p.m. And I was like, dude, this is like, this is the first experience I get. Are you serious? <laughs> and I got that typhoon. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's always interesting, man. What, uh, what are you doing off the field? What are the hobbies? Uh, honestly, man, like video games is a big part of my off season just as like it's not even that I'm I love video games like that. It's just it's a really good way for me to to connect to old buddies or guys that are back home right now. And I'm in Pittsburgh, so uh, it's it's a big hobby. And then obviously when it was when it was a little warmer, you know, the golf game it's improving. I'm trying okay. to get there. Trying to get there. Um, being in Florida for spring training, I maybe ha- might have to hit a couple of those courses. But you know, it came a long way from the 250 yard slice and. <laughs> Finally, starting to hit the drive straight. So, yeah, I think golf. it's like every every baseball player ever has said that. Yeah, every every baseball player it starts out hitting a slice, and then they they hook the drive, and then they finally <laughs> get straight. Yeah. How's the short game though? Uh, sometimes I'll hit a great flop shot, and other times I'll skull it about two hundred degrees. <laughs> so if we can find like a medium, we'll be we'll be awesome. It's almost better that way, though. Like, I mean, I've golfed a decent amount. And, like, when I've taken it serious, it's been, like, it's almost been more frustrating. But, like, when I'm out with the boys, a couple drinks, just having a good time, like, that's the best time for yeah. sure. You know, you don't care if you skull one or, you know, sail one, two fairways over. You almost you almost play better when you don't care. For sure. I would totally agree with that. Pressure's not there, right? Yeah, it's like you look at the scorecard and you're like, oh, I actually played decent today. And then you're, you're out there trying and it's like, dude, I shot 102. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah. I think the Corona's happened. That's what <laughs> happened. That too, yeah. <laughs> All right, we, to wrap this up, Leachy, I got uh, I came up with a, like a speed round question. We'll call I'd call it twenty questions, but it's only nineteen, so we got nineteen questions okay. here. Speed round. You can pass if you want. If you can't think of anything, you know, kind of in a reasonable amount of time. But let's see what we got here. Ready? <clears throat> All right, here we go. Who's your favorite baseball player growing up? Buster Posey. Who's your favorite non-baseball athlete? Ooh, probably Sidney Crosby. Okay. What is one food that you hate? I don't know, man. I don't think I hate many foods. I'm going to be honest. It, it's Love pretty that. easy to get food down. Is that the genetic thing? Yeah. <laughs> that's the one genetic thing that I got that was pretty I've been. I've had some Uber Eats uh, calls with your dad. What's your dream vacation spot? I think Japan would be really cool. What would you be doing if you weren't playing baseball? I would I would hope another sport, but I don't know if I could. I, you know what? If it's a hypothetical, I would love to just play golf. Nice. What's your favorite movie? Uh, the Departed. Okay. What is your – did you play other sports in high school? Not in high school. I did. I played hockey a little bit, and I played some basketball. What was your what was your second best sport? Probably hockey. Are you a car guy? Uh, a little bit. I don't want to say. Do you have a favorite car? I don't, uh, I don't know, man. Just anything that looks nice. My <laughs> Ford Escape's pretty nice. All right. Would you rather go back in time or visit the future? back in time do you have any hidden talents i'm a pretty vanilla guy (laughs) 
Do you do karaoke? Uh, in the car by myself. What's your go-to song? I don't know. Uh, anything by Queen. Okay. What type of glove do you use? Rawlings. Would you? How, or how do you take your coffee? Black. Oh. Could you survive in the wilderness on your own? Kind of like alone. How long? You tell me. M- maybe four hours. <laughs> What's your favorite exercise in the gym? Bench press. What was your best subject in high school? You cannot say phys ed. Uh, math. Oh. Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Would you prefer to have a big house on a small lot or a small house on a big lot? Um, I would probably say big house, small lot, but my girlfriend would probably want the big yard, have as many pets as possible. So Good that man. it's a big, so that it's a big house with a big lot. Almost big lot. <laughs> Last question. What do you do on the bus trips to keep yourself occupied? Ooh, uh, mafia has been played quite a bit, yeah. but a lot of, a lot of downloaded movies too. Nice. Dude, thanks for joining us, man. That was fun. It was good catching up with you, too. We haven't talked to you in a while, but I knew that we wanted to get you on the pod and uh, and just see how your year was and just, uh, you know, shoot the breeze with you. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. If you liked the podcast, um, hit the like button, subscribe, give us some feedback, and uh, interact with us. Let us know if you have any questions. We'd be happy to answer it. So from Ryan Leach. Myself, Willow, and the rest of Team Oppo Taco. That is Oppo Taco out. Mm-hmm.